The Ebony's and the Ivory podcast is a bi-weekly dialogue with Dr. Dejalon Jackson-Bell and Dr. Lakeitha Poole. Through the EITI podcast, we plan to promote our mission of dispelling myths, rewriting narratives, and championing women of color in higher education. All views expressed through this podcast are our own, do not represent any entity with which we are affiliated, and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. For more information or to set up a consultation, visit our website at www.ebonysintheivory.com. You are now tuned in to Ebony's in the Ivory. We could talk about respect. Today's a day we we totally could. Um, in, in honoring exactly. the great Aretha Franklin. So by the time you guys hear this, it'll be a few weeks after this has happened. But today, we're recording this on the day that we lost such a legend um, who as a woman. And so maybe it is, you know, a great connection of what we're going right. to be talking about today. Who demanded respect for herself as an artist. Um, as a woman of color um, and just in the, the general civil rights movement. And so, of course, um, who better to teach us about R-E-S-P-E-C-T than the queen of soul herself, Miss Aretha Franklin. So we honor her today and her music obviously will live on forever. So definitely befitting that we get to honor her. And so we can even we dedicate this show to her today. Um, so what we're talking about this week is leveling up and obviously I know people immediately are going to think of like Sierra's, yeah, Sierra's song. I'm doing that. 
Um, which actually is a bit of a bop. I actually really like it. It is a bop. Um, And so it's important as we start thinking about for us as women, um, the ways in which in our personal lives and professional lives, really, that we're leveling up. And so I want us to talk about um, surviving the job hunt and salary negotiations. And so hopefully already you have read last week's blog where I gave some details about what this can look like for you as well as shared some of my personal experiences with this. So if you haven't already, go back and read that. Um, you can listen to this. There won't be spoilers for multiple reasons. And so um, so please make sure if you haven't read it, um, please go back and do so. Um, and I'm also really excited to talk about this because my wonderful co-host also has like a lot of experience on the career development and career counseling side. So I know that she's going to have some great nuggets to share as we kind of talk about this topic because um, of her past role in career services, particularly working with undergrad students and even now um, as a school counselor, I'm sure, working on career readiness for that age group. So I think we're going to have a, a fun, fun show. Yeah. So um, let's just, I guess, be transparent to start out in general. And let's talk about like what for you, Dr. Bell, has been some of like the best and worst parts of ever being in a job hunt experience. So that doesn't have to be this current job, but any time that you can remember being in that job search process what were the highlights, but what were also some of the low points? Mm-hmm. Let's start off with the low. Let's get that out of the way. Right. So, like Dr. Poole said, um, I was a career counselor and still am to a certain extent working with my kiddos um, in the realm of school counseling. So, um, I, I would like to say I have a pretty good knowledge of um, career development, job search skills. Uh, I'm actually published in a book about uh, African-American students um, and career and college readiness. I have a book chapter, um, Google me, and I, I think I, I have some um, some knowledge in that area. But with that being said, I think some of the worst job search experiences that I've had is just kind of waiting for mm-hmm. a callback. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I'm really big on, like, perfecting resumes and like making sure that my cover letter is what it needs to be and you know my dad is in human resources so he's always you know like referral well she can like people ask him and he's like oh she does a better job than me so like let me see you this person's resume and like I'll take it from nothing to like something um real quick so like you know even with all that expertise and skill like it's very hard to know you know that you've pretty much submitted um you know a, a good document and mm-hmm. you're not getting any callbacks or you're not getting um the feedback that you thought that you would get um so even just learning about or accepting how job searching works and the actual timeline versus in our heads what we think the timeline should be because mm-hmm. um, most job search timelines take about three to six months depending on um, the position position that you're applying for and um, how the the agency or how the company or organization that um, that you're applying to um, how they handle um, you know hire the hiring process so um, I think you know even 
having to remind myself, okay, sometimes it takes from three to six months. Sometimes it may take longer um, than that, depending on where you're searching. Um, so those are probably the lowest points for me or even, you know, knowing, you know, you go in into an interview and you know you killed it. Um, or maybe you didn't kill it, um, even though you prepared and, and you weren't selected after you kind of got your hopes up. Um, about possibly securing securing that position, so um, those are some. I, I've I've been there before um, a couple of times, um, so I would say that those are the low points. Now I feel like the high points is when you know, of course, you get the call saying you know you're being selected for an interview, and you know you go in into the interview and like you're able to like even establish rapport right there. You've done your research, you've created a document. Um, that really reflects your personality and um you've already kind of set the standard for even when you walk into the room um and everything just kind of flows well and hopefully you know ultimately that position you know is is offered to you Mm -hmm. um so just when everything works right when the timeline is right when the salary is right Mm -hmm. when you've done your research when you ask the questions and people are like oh my goodness like like I can't believe you asked that question or impressed by the questions that you ask, um, impressed by the knowledge that you already have about, um, you know, about the company or the organization, um, just impressed by the way, you know, that you navigate um, the interview. I think those are, are some of the best experiences um, that I've had while on the job hunt or, you know, searching and, and pursuing jobs or careers yeah I think that those are all definitely relatable and definitely things that when they're happening we don't either for those good things take kind of the time to appreciate um that even though job hunting is difficult you know it is a great feeling to know that you walked in and you know totally rocked your interview or um you know that you know the way in which you portrayed yourself is you know like optimal like you have done you know the best possible job you could do of showing them who they would get if they were to hire you right and I think we don't often kind of reflect on that or at least acknowledge that part of it in the midst of the process because we're so nervous and we're waiting which is like you said that's the worst part is then after that happens you have to sit back and just kind of wait and it's in somebody else's hands even though you know you've done your due diligence to you know try to secure this job for yourself so i i think i totally agree i think that you're right on target with probably what would be similar um job hunt experiences for myself i think one of the things about the waiting too is that it really also depends on what your current like um employment state is so people always say it's easier to find a job when you have a job Um, And that's because you don't have the same pressure of like, I'm trying to find something um, because I have nothing. And that's a different like approach to the job process. So you're more than likely to not be as mindful about maybe, you know, what that salary should be. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. But like you you kind of let yourself off the hook a little bit because you're just like, I got to find something. And that isn't always the best approach because of the fact that you may not end up in the role that you really, really, really are a good fit for and that you really should be in um, because of, of looking. And I, you know, I definitely understand being in 
those periods where you just have no idea of, you know, if they're going to call, when they're going to call, you've sent a thousand applications, or at least it feels like a thousand. Um, and maybe you get calls, but you only get so far in the process and, um, it can be discouraging. And so there are definitely, you know, good, very good parts and very bad parts of what that experience can be like. And I know, um, I have totally been there where you have feel like you are in your valley of job hunting. Um, and then, you know, it's great when you are able to totally do well on the interview, get a call back and then start discussing your possible transition to that role. So definitely. I I like what you said about, um, you know, it's easier and, you know, that's been my experience too. It's easier to find a job or even be recruited for a job when you already have one. Mm -hmm. And I think when you don't and you're searching, um, you can tend to be pushed into panic mode, Mm -hmm. um, if that makes sense. So, um, maybe your mind isn't as clear, um, or your confidence isn't, you know, where it necessarily needs to be. And you're kind of, you know, like in survival mode. Um, so, and, and I've been on both ends. I've seen it, Mm -hmm. um, as someone who's conducted interviews, um, at my place of employment, I've seen people in panic mode or survival mode, and they're so nervous because, you know, they really need that job and it, it doesn't go as smoothly or, follow up they might um pressure the hiring manager and maybe send too many emails and kind of turn off the the search committee Mm -hmm. um by how persistent they are um you know after after you know the interview is complete so i think it you know when you're coming from a place of of desperation that can also turn into not so good of an experience um, Mm -hmm. when you're going through the job search. I agree. I definitely think that that ends up making, like you said, causing people to feel uh, overwhelmed by you, which is not what you want. Um, You you definitely want them to know you're still interested, but there's just a way to do that. So I I agree. Um, Knowing how to balance that and sort of... um, you know, knowing how to balance remaining like optimistic and motivated for the opportunity potentially, but also knowing how to kind of let the chips fall where they may after you know you've gone in and done everything that you can do right. to present yourself in the best way. So I totally right. agree with that. So let's talk about like specifics. Like, what do you think for people as they start thinking about resumes and particularly for those that? maybe want to go into academia or in um, certain settings you would have a CV Um, Uh and you know there are things that people I think agree on like should be on every resume or CV and then Uh some people are like really extra and have like things that I'm like wait what like I've never thought to put that yeah Yeah. Um, and even like formatting like I've gotten CVs for people if I'm hiring for a role and there's just a lot going on on it. Right. Um, and, like, I am all about, like, expression, like, creative expression and all those things. But sometimes it's a distraction. And, you know, right. and in what type of setting maybe, though, is that okay? So, right. Um, Dr. Bell, do you have tips or anything that yeah. you feel like, you know, makes a good resume or a good CV? Yeah, just to go off what you said, you have to be cognizant of... Um, you know, the environment in which you're submitting your resume to. So, you know, if you're submitting your resume to an accountant firm, you're not going to have, like, all these bold, 
fonts and you're not going to have colors and things like that. Um, it's going to be very concise and black and white. So you have to um, tailor your resume to the field in which you are applying to or the position um, that you are applying to. And I, you know, you talked about CVs versus resumes and you have to um, know when it's appropriate and what is needed on a CV versus what is needed on a resume. So CVs um, are, are mainly for um, jobs in academia, like you said. So those are your professorships or, um, you know, just jobs in academia. Um, I would say as far as any other tips, you want to make sure that it's concise. Um, you want to make sure that um, it's timely. So you don't want to have you know, your little random jobs from 10 to 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure that what you put on there is relevant. And you may have a lot of job experience, but is that job experience relevant to the position in which you're applying for? So um, you also have to tailor it to to the job. So a lot of people think, okay, I'm going to create this resume and then that's it. And I'm just going to shop it around and send it to all these people. And that's not necessarily beneficial to you as a job seeker um, because your job or your, or your career as, um, I don't know, a, a administrative assistant versus um, you applying for, um, I don't know, what a, a position that's totally opposite of that, you know, if those skills aren't transferable, then they don't need to be on your resume. Mm -hmm. um, I would also say to keep it um, at an appropriate length. Um, you know, CVs normally have a little, you know, like more pages because of, you know, you're adding research, you're adding right, classes like that included. you taught, you're adding yeah. university service and things like that. Whereas a resume, typically you want to keep it um, no more than three pages. I would probably say two, and that just depends on, um, on again, the position that you're applying to and if those experiences that you have are, are you know, specifically relevant to the job that you're applying for. Mm -hmm. um, and I would also say to, you know, get somebody to look over it. Um, if, you know, someone who you know might be a professional or might be, you know, um, I guess, you know, like, do like, um, what am I trying to say? Like someone who, you know, hires people mm -hmm. as a hiring mm -hmm. manager to get someone to look over it um, for you and say, hey, you know, if you were to give this to me, you know, this is what I would think about it. Um, and if someone who you, if you know someone in that field or in the field that you're applying for, get them to look over it. Yeah. Get some pointers from them. Um, so... There are a couple of different ways to take your resume from good to great. Um, and there are a lot of, um, you know, options and, and resources online, free resources online. I love, um, just a plug, I love the LSU, <laughs> Olin, Carissa, and, um, their job search guide because they have, like, you know, examples of CVs. They have examples of resumes. They have examples of cover letters. Cover letters. They have examples of um informational interviews and how to answer behavioral questions when you're doing an interview so um just things like that online that are are um legit and that are free that you can look and do your research on to to 
um, tailor your resume and to make it what it needs to be. Um, that would be my advice. I know I said a lot, um, but, um, you know, you have to make sure that you're tailoring your resume and it's, it's relevant and you're changing it um, with every position that you're applying for. Yeah. Well, and I think it's so important because that's the first like representation of you, right? You don't get, right. you don't get the interview without the resume being submitted and the cover letter being submitted um, to, and we could go on forever and ever about cover letters, but I, we won't because I don't, and I think I'm just having flashbacks of cover letters I've reviewed and I'm like, what right. are you doing? Um, so being able to recognize though, that is your first sort of representation of yourself to this company or to this organization of what they're going to get. And so you want to be very intentional about what's included and also how um, you put it together because I think it just matters and it's definitely a reflection of of you. Um, yeah. So in thinking, I, of, I'm sorry. Oh, ahead. I'm sorry. Mm-mm. No, I was just saying like, you know, employers, they take about 10 to 15 seconds to look at a resume. So if it's not formatted correctly, um, it doesn't have high points. Like that's pretty much all the time um, that they take to look at it. So you want to make sure that you can you provide a document that is attention grabbing. Um, so they may continue to go past those ten or fifteen seconds, um, or they don't throw it in the trash. Especially when you're applying for a position where you have you know seventy five to a hundred resumes. Um, pretty much every job that I've applied to, like once I well jobs that I have taken. Once I've, you know, um, accepted the job and um, I'm in my workplace, uh, my hiring manager, like, yeah, like 100 other people, at least mm-hmm. 100 other people submitted applications. But, you know, your resume is what stuck out to us. or So you're competing against a lot of people. Um, so you need to make sure that, you know, your resume is something that can grab attention in 10 or 15 minutes. Your cover letter is something that, you know, they'll look at the resumes first and then. You know, they'll put you in the yes or the no pile and then read your cover letter. So that also needs to um, grab attention. And you also want to make sure that your cover letter isn't just repeating what your resume says. You want to make sure that you're marketing yourself. Um, You want to make sure that you're explaining situations. Like you said, we go on and on and on about this, like explaining gaps in employment. Um, It's so it's so many um, so many things that you can touch up up on on your cover letter that you can't do in your resume mm-hmm. um i will also say you know making sure that you match um the language that they use in the job job um, description yeah description yeah yeah to your resume to your cover letter so whatever verbs they're using if they're saying we need somebody who's motivated we need somebody um who has experience in strategic planning we need someone who um is a team player um, making sure that your resume uses some of that same verbiage um, because some companies actually run the resumes through a software um, system before they even, you know, before it gets human contact. Mm-hmm. So they are looking for, that software is looking for those words um, and those those verbs that are used sometimes in the job description. Um, so you want to make sure that, you know, you're saying you're asking for this and this is what I bring to the table as well. Yes, I agree. I think that that plays a major part in definitely what you said about sort of the language matching what the job description entails gives them 
one, some insight that you like pay attention to those type of details enough, but then also um, directly connects you and your skill set to what they're asking for. And so I think that that's super, super important. Um, so we get through that process, right? We apply, uh-huh. we get a call back, we maybe uh-huh. do an interview, um, and a, we could probably have a whole other, I don't know, segment and session on um, the interview part of it. And I actually think that we probably will do something different with that. But like yeah. being able to then get to the point of like negotiating salary. And so the reason why I want us to make sure that we talk about this is because there's so many things around um, women, women of color, um, and knowing equal our pay. worth and equal pay um, that often just is not, it's not taught to us, it's right. not talked about. Um, as much and then even when you know you maybe talk about it you have people who get very upset about talking about yeah. it um, yeah. literally and so being able to um, really think about some of the best ways to negotiate your salary I think is important for us to at least share with you guys a little bit of today and obviously we will um, based on your interest share more um, but being able to to think about this is important. So I really like as a cool website, um, Glassdoor, and I like it because there's a bunch of different things on it. So um, you have everything from you know potential uh, like salary ranges for a certain position, what uh, level of education or you know degree attainment you need to have to even consider applying for such a job. Um, all kinds of things. And so Glassdoor offers some really good tips around salary negotiations that I want to share before we talk more about it um, in, from our experience as well. But um, what I think is important is that salary negotiations, they can play out in a number of different ways. There's obviously like, you know, um, different ways to sort of handle that based on the industry that you're in. Um, and just kind of knowing that going into it is also important. But there's also like a basic strategy that everybody needs to know about knowing your worth and being able to make a case for yourself and why you deserve that pay that you're asking for, um, in addition to them obviously getting you and what you're going to bring to the table. And so really, before you even hit probably the interview, you kind of need to give yourself a, a pretty concrete range of like what you know you want to make or what you have researched um, to kind of know what that position um, really you know comes with both in the place where you live so locally statewide but then nationally too what do the trends sort of look like so that you have that as a way to at least create some idea of where you should fall based on your qualifications educational background etc um you know even the place that you're deciding to apply to and what that looks like is very important so can i interject right there mm -hmm. so um as far as salary is concerned I know, like, on some applications, they'll ask you, like, what is your desired salary? My advice would be not to include that on the application unless, um, you know, we're, you know, you have to um, disclose. Like, sometimes they'll have the, the star by the yeah. um, question, so you have to respond um, because that sort of kind of digs a hole. Um, and if you do have to, Respond and, and that's a question that you have to respond to. Um, I would say make sure that you, of course, give a range and not just 
one dollar amount but also don't lowball yourself if that makes sense so um the range that you put like the 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 lowest number you need to be comfortable with receiving that amount um if you know you you happen to get the job um not lowballing and saying hey because your lowest amount should be that's the lowest i will ever accept um for the position um and not just oh i'm just being modest and um but like dr pool is saying you have to make sure that you do your research when it comes to that but i just want to address the that question on the application um because sometimes you do have to include it sometimes it is a question that you do have to answer and sometimes they'll kind of let you slide by and not I mean, if you if you can slide by and not answer it, that would be my suggestion because I don't know. I just I wouldn't want anybody to get fixated on a number before they, you know, are even able to see your personality or to see you face to face or for you to be able to sell yourself face to face. So that's just my little tidbit right there. Yeah. And I definitely think that, you know, if you're in the midst of doing this during the interview which looks very different than maybe getting a call back and talking about it right um you know we could again go into sort of probably more specifics around that but i think if it comes up during the interview right um which is kind of i guess where we're the approach we're taking right now is like let the employer throw out a number first so you know let them if they get to that point because in most cases depending on the job that will come up at some point during your interview day or process um, and being able to then know that, okay, you know, this is where they are. That doesn't mean that on the spot that day, you have to tell them that, right. oh, I, oh, I'm okay with that number. Oh, I'm not okay with that number. Right. Um, that's okay. And, you know, it's always worth sort of negotiating down the line. So, you know, be also aware that like the employer may throw out a number first. So, you don't have to feel right. that pressure if you are afforded that opportunity to bring that up, um, you know, which is uncomfortable for most people. And so being able to see how that plays out, which again, is not a guarantee, but being aware of that, I think is important. Now, if it happens on the opposite end, sort of um, during that callback time, again, you can, you know, they make the salary may have not come up at all during your interview. They give you a call back. They want to offer you the job. Um, and then they're ready to just, you know, throw out that number. Well, immediately what's recommended is to always have, um, you know, a number to kind of throw back and being Uh able to ask for more, um, because it's always worth negotiating. So it is highly unlikely that an employer would fire somebody or not hire them in the first place for like negotiating your salary. So don't feel like, oh my gosh, if I at all alter this number that they've just called me with, that I'm not going to get the job. Um, obviously, you don't be crazy and like totally throw out something outlandish based on what they've offered to you just for right. the sake of doing it. But don't just say that, like, don't just say, like, you, you know, want sort of that extra money. Like, you need to be able to talk to them about why you deserve it. What are the trends right. that you research? What right. What is um, that position worth if you were to have it at, you know, a similar organization or company? Right. Um, you really have to be able to prove that you deserve it to, you know, by talking about your concrete accomplishments and examples and metrics and all that stuff. 
Um, because the worst case scenario is that they can say, no, we can't do it. And that's just based on budgetary reasons. But obviously the best case scenario is that then you walk away with a bigger paycheck and, um, you know, just a few more coins than maybe you thought originally based on just accepting immediately the first offer that comes. So I definitely think, you know, you have to be able to be open to negotiating, particularly again, as women, um, don't shy away from that. I think any of my mentors who I value their opinions greatly have always said, no matter what you counter offer. And again, don't, always. don't be crazy now. Don't do too much, but don't, uh, sell yourself short in a way that keeps you from gaining some extra leverage, some extra money um, that can benefit right. you, particularly when you know your worth. And it really goes back to that. And that probably in some ways is like the, the counselor in me, um, recognizing that you have to know who you are and what you're bringing to the table to be able to demand, and I know it's a strong word, but kind of what you know your skill set is worth and what that job um, entails. So I just think that's important. And I think that's also just going back to what we spoke about earlier as far as, um, or spoke to earlier, as far as, you know, not being in panic mode and not just accepting, you know, whatever number is thrown at you. Um, I agree with what you say. You should always kind of offer. That should, if, even if it's, I mean, a thousand dollars more. Like, you, you have to, they, they expect you. Most places, most markets expect you. To, to negotiate and to give a counter offer and if you don't um you know you never know they mm -hmm. might try to lowball you and they might you know say hey well we'll see you know how savvy this person is um as it relates to salary nego negotiations and um they may give you a low number and if you're coming from a place of desperation you know you may take that um and and you know depending on you know what what market you're going into you know there might not be a lot of opportunity for raises so like for instance in higher education you know you never know when the cuts are going to come you know this dr pool mm -hmm. you never know um you know that's a state well if it's a state school it's a state funded budget mm -hmm. um and cuts will come sometimes raises are coming you can't count on this hey you know i know i'm going to get a raise every year it doesn't work like that so you have to know the market um or the field that you're going into and you have to know how raises um come is it state funded is it you know federally funded is yeah are they merit merit-based raises merit increases, all of that yeah that's a right. whole other conversation too. it's a whole other conversation <laughs> but you have to you have to be aware of that because if you're not and you're you're like okay i'm, I'm gonna take this amount but you know there is the opportunity for raises that might not happen i remember um at lsu they went like five or six years without anybody getting a raise. So um, it's important to keep that in mind as you're negotiating. I also want to say um, sometimes, you know, if you're going back and forth and you're countering with an organization and they say, you know, I'm sorry, this is the most that I can give you, don't stop there. Because there are other things that you can leverage. That may be paid time off. That may be professional you know, extra, development. Um, mm -hmm. Right, benefits, extra benefits in your benefits package. Um, you know, that may look like um, the opportunity to attend professional development, which may 
um, help you hone your skill set, which may um, help you, you know, get to a management position if that's what you want. And then there, you know, promotion will, you know, uh, of course, a raise will come with that. So um, even if they can't monetarily um, meet your needs, and that's something you'll have to decide, like, is it worth it? If the job is worth it, then you leverage it in other ways as well. Right. I agree. I think that, you know, being able to just be smart and savvy in the process and have thought this through beforehand um, definitely benefits you um, and definitely is how you get to, um, you know, that place where you are sort of comfortable with knowing like, okay, if, if a raise doesn't come or if I can't get that salary that I initially had in mind like to be able to know the why behind that so that if this is you know your dream job you're not sitting at work grumpy every day because you also feel like you're not getting paid with your worth so um just making sure that you do your research um knowing how to be smart about the way in which you ask for it what you ask for um and just knowing that you know the worst they can say is no but the best that they can say is yes and um, that's right. always worth taking the shot for. So I also want to add, I know you mentioned Glassdoor, which is a great resource. Um, something that I like to use is um, ONET online. So it's the Occupational Basically Handbook online. Um, and you can search pretty much any um, career, any job, and you can see what the national trend is, um, what that salary range looks like by state. Um see the outlook of that position so some jobs in umker fields have what they call bright outlooks like a little sun by it it's a bright bright outlook um so that's a, another great resource and they have all kinds of things on their website you can take assessments um you can just look through occupations you can look also and this is something we always use to um, use with our students because it kind of helps you to understand how to write a resume based on um, the job that you're applying for. So they use some of the verbiage that you can look at and you can make your own and say, okay, these are the skills that are needed for this job. I want to make sure that I include the skills that I hate resource um, as far as resume negotiations are concerned. Um, it's just a great resource. So ONET online, yes. that'll work. So that's perfect transition right into what was my last sort of question, like what advice or tips or resources did you have for those people searching for their next job um, or are in the midst of trying to figure out how to negotiate salary, things that they should think about for the interview, any final tips? Um, yeah, I would say like from the step of just looking for another job um let's say you want to you know change career fields we always um you know give the advice to you know if you're not sure you want to go into a different field to do a, a informational interview or shadow somebody um if you're interested in seeing like what's the day-to-day for that position if you know someone in that position you know that may help you decide is this a position that i really want to um pursue um, also, like looking on looking on the organizations or the company's website, making sure you know um, you're seeing things that you can align with um, yourself. Uh, as far as resume and job searching, um, be patient with yourself. Um, like I said, it takes anywhere from three to six months to even nine months to find a job. So making sure that you tailor your um, 
your cover letter or your CV um, and your resume to the actual job, making sure that um, you don't have any errors because errors get thrown out immediately. Like that's like a deal breaker for a lot of businesses and organizations. So making sure um, that your, your, your job search documents are concise um, and clear, making sure that you market yourself when you sell yourself. So a lot of people are, you know, I don't want to talk about myself. Like I want to be humble and modest. Um, this is not the time to do that. And I'm not saying that you should be cocky or anything like that, but you need to be confident because I feel like people can smell confidence. Um, and people are going to want people who are confident um, to join their organizations or to join their companies. Um, so making sure that you are able to market yourself and sell yourself, like this is the time for, um, this is the time to let people see why you would be good at that position. Um, as far as um, interviews are concerned, making sure that um, you have prepared, making sure that, and you can, like I said, Google, you know, job interviews for this field or job interviews for this field or, you know, what are some common questions in this field? We do that all the time. Um, at Career Services, um, there are certain, you know, um, questions that you know are specific to job fields and i'm saying not saying that that's going to be asked um in your particular interview but you'll be more prepared uh as well um making sure again that you've researched the company um making sure that when they ask do you have any questions for us like you have questions for them like i bring my portfolio um and i have my questions written down so i say i open and say why yes i do and i start asking <laughs> questions and I ask questions, um, I'm very particular and strategic about the questions that I ask, um, because I'm not just asking like willy-nilly questions, I'm asking like, so I saw that on your website, or I saw in your strategic plan, or I saw that this is a program that you know you guys do, and I'm wondering this. Or, so you're asking questions to show that you've done your research and you've done your homework, but also questions in which the answer is going to benefit you and I always like to ask you know if you have a manager you know what's your managing style or um what you know what the person who was in this position last what are some great things that they did so just questions like that that you know show that you're interested um show that you're kind of thinking of um you put yourself in a position to think about how you would operate you know as a part of that company being confident um and then again, researching job market trends, salary trends, and making sure that you are able to articulate um, why you feel like you want this certain salary, and are able to, you know, lay out the reasons why. I think those are just a um, a few pieces of advice that I could offer. Yeah, I think all of those are again right on target with things that people need to think about and consider in the midst of, um, you know, preparing and trying to be ready, trying to put your best foot forward. Um, it's just important to really have a holistic picture of like all the things that um, make up the job search process. It's not just submitting your resume and then right. being like, all right, well, however this goes, whatever, there's more preparation to do. Um, yeah. I think the only thing I would add was like, just some practical tips that I think in the midst of being in my own job search processes that I would think about, which includes things like your attire for a job right. interview. Yeah. So like yeah. being able to make sure that 
you are wearing something obviously professional um, and, and befitting of the type of job that you are going for, but also mm-hmm. that you're comfortable in. So right. that is like my, um, right. my, I don't know, like it's, it's sort of like a way in which I'm also able to like calm my nerves a bit when I'm getting ready for a job interview because I know my clothes fit right or that right. I'm wearing something that I feel like I feel confident in that I feel like I look cute in. Um, being right. able right. to do that for most cases for me, so... Uh, Dr. Bell knows this. My favorite color is blue. I usually wear navy blue, like suit or you know dress, um, or I have right. something blue on because that's like just for me. That's like my power color. And so, right. being able to be um, attentive to sort of practical things like that, I think, are also really important. Um, you know, knowing uh, to do things like if you are somebody who get your nails done and get them done. But right. if you don't get them done, like just go get a regular manicure and make right. sure that you feel, you feel good. Cause if you feel good, you will go into that interview process, um, way different than, you know, if you already worried about like, Oh my gosh, I didn't go get my hair done or, you know, right. my suit is too small or too tight or too short. And so those are things that distract you from, being able to put your best foot forward. Um, And I think it's important that in the midst of that, you are showing them a glimpse of like who they're going to get. So uh, a whole other episode we could have too is like talking about hair and people sometimes. I was going to ask you that, but that would take all day. I know. (laughs) I know. Natural. Yes. So like even like, you know, how to style your natural hair. Yeah. Like what to do. And maybe we need to make that a whole other. um, Yeah you know, like episode or or blog post or whatever. But I think even thinking about what that looks like, you know, I I get messages all the time from former students. Sometimes they'll send me, you know, pictures and be like, should I put this on LinkedIn or should I wear my hair like this for an interview? And my advice is always of who's going to show up to work. Is it going to be, you know, like, (laughs) is it going to be you with like your straightened hair, like wig on, which is fine too. Cause I got one, we all got one, but being able to think about, is that, you know, is that who they're going to get all the time? Or is it more important for you to go with your hair styled in the way that you will typically be at work? And like, that also is, you know, we talked about questions that you have for them, but when you really start to think about red flags or things like that, that come up during the job interview, you know, if that feels like folks are uncomfortable with that, then that also may not be a work environment that's good for you. And like, we haven't, we haven't had a discussion yet either about like toxic work environments really, but we could also, you know, even talk about that at some point of what does that mean? And so if, if, if during the job interview process and the job search process, you feel like there is some discomfort about your hair or your curves or your, you know, whatever, then, I mean, that's, that's something to at least be aware of and be mindful of as you go through that interview process and that job search process. So, um, I am one that is obviously more of a fan of like being you and that comes sometimes over time with your level of comfort and your professionalism and your ability to be able to, um, you know, just know that what you see is what you get. And so I'm, I'm still bringing you a skill set that does not matter how it comes packaged versus my hair or my attire or whatever, but it's being able to be 
aware of how do you feel about those things so that it does not shake you during an interview or it does not um, sort of, you know, upset your nerves or disrupt your nerves um, enough where it then causes you to, you know, not do your best for a job that you know going into it should be yours. And I, I like what you said. Also, I think that, um, again, I know I keep going back to this, um, come up, you know, avoiding coming from a place of panic or desperation, but it's just as much of, you know, you um, choosing the job as is them choosing you. So you have to be sure that you're, you know, an active participant in being chosen or selecting a job. It's not just them calling you and saying, hey, you know, we want you, but you have to make sure that it's a good fit for you as well. Um, So that's, you know, I think that's kind of related to what you said about, you know, toxic work environments and red flags and things that you pick up on, um, you know, through the interview process or even after the interview process and letting that also determine if you're going to accept the position as well. Mm -hmm. I agree. So hopefully we've given you some tips for you to at least start thinking about. Um, Many folks, particularly if you're in higher ed, you really won't maybe be thinking more about the job cycle again until the end of fall semester and the start of spring when that kind of opens back up. However, Hopefully these tips at least helps you think about that in a different way. And you never know, actually, there are people who leave and abandon positions randomly. <laughs> so you want to be ready. Um, one of my friends always says, you know, you want to stay ready so you have to get ready. You have to get ready. Um, yes, and so being able to make sure that you at least take some of these things in, into consideration are important. So we hope these are helpful um, and ways that you can think about how you can truly level up your um, job search process and negotiating your salary. So we're going to take a little break right there, and then we'll be back to wrap up the show with our signature segments. talk about um or go into our culture corner um so this week we're going to to talk about um dr pool's alma mater and um some news that she saw that i think she would like to speak about so dr pool yeah so um everybody knows i love the florida state university um only haters boo whatever um but i do i have a little a little beef with them this week um in general so my love is undying however i have a bit of a a half shout out so there's good there's good in this but also um just some things that I think as we think about, you know, the culture within higher education, because this is definitely a hot topic um, to be able to at least discuss very briefly. So uh, Florida State um, actually has made a decision. Um, the president 
through an advisory panel is going to make a recommendation um, to change the name of the law school, which is the B.K. Roberts College of Law, um, because of the founder who was um, actually a member of the Florida Supreme Court, but he was a well-known um, segregationist. Um, and so being able to, you know, sort of follow the trend, um, which is a positive trend of renaming buildings, uh -huh. streets, places, um, after portions of American history that are not necessarily positive um, and inclusive. And so I appreciated that um, our current president, Thrasher at Florida State, um, recommended this to the legislature, and I do hope that they will pass it. And what I loved was that he, you know, and still trying to be diplomatic, explained uh -huh. that the certain buildings and placements of statues on campus honored folks whose actions are no longer in line with just where we are, con you know, uh, uh, contemporarily. Yeah. And so being able to really think about the fact that um, American values have shifted towards diversity, uh -huh. towards inclusion, and we in the world of higher education have to think about that as well and so i am i am very proud of them for doing this um they even created sort of this advisory panel that included students faculty staff alums so you know definitely thinking about the full picture to make sure that they were doing what was best um and being inclusive even of who they considered and so um you know shout out to them however uh -huh. There's also um, a little bit of, you know, disappointment in that that statement that I also mentioned from President Thrasher doesn't necessarily align with a separate decision um, to have removed. We have a statue um, at the front gate of the University of Francis Epps, who was the grandson of Thomas Jefferson, who was the mayor of Tallahassee, not our Thomas Jefferson, um, um, who was like a founder of Florida State. So that's why the statue is there. However, he was also a slave owner. And so President Thrasher has agreed to have the statue move to a less prominent place on campus. And obviously, you know, we'll do um, the, the university will do its due diligence to add biographical information about the fact that he owned slaves, um, which I think is I guess okay um, but I think you know being able to realize that that's not necessarily equivalent to having like this college of law change like that says it, yeah. it, it makes you wonder how did they choose and I don't have the answer to this and that's why we are always bringing things up like this to present them to the Ebony's community of like you know how did he choose between the fact that like, okay, we're gonna change the, the, the College of Law, but this statue, because it's you know one of the founders of the university, um, we're gonna keep, we're just gonna move it to a different place and make sure that we put a plaque saying why we moved it and why you know he does not align with the contemporary thinking and values of modern society, which is President Thrasher's quote, um, and what that looks like. And so similarly, there's also a hall, Epps Hall, which I think I might have had classes in, I don't really remember, um, to have the name change because it's also named after Francis Epps. And so um, similarly, they're not going to change the name of that building, but will instead put a historical marker that, you know, discusses 
who he was um, and, and sort of making making that happen. And so I think the fact that, you know, they examined this and even brought it up is great, but are we really like kind of, you know, choosing how strategic we are about some of those things and the why behind that? And I think, again, that's not a question that we're gonna be able to answer, but just being able to think about, you know, the value of what it means to say that we are um, acknowledging a history while also trying to rectify it. And in some ways we're doing that, but in a lot of ways we're not. It sounds like to me like the dissonance of it all, you know, taking down one and acknowledging it, you know, saying, you know, we're going to name this differently versus, um, you know, not doing that for someone who is a known slave owner. It sounds like money is talking. It sounds like gifts and donations mm-hmm. are talking. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I don't know. Like, you know, I can't speak to whatever money the university gets. But if you choose one and not the other, but you're going to, I guess, try to rectify a little and say, oh, and this person was a slave owner, but keep keep the statue. You were moving it and putting it, um, you know, in a different place and you're going to keep the name up so you're you're knowing you're acknowledging that you know this is not necessarily aligning with our values as a higher education institution but not eradicating it completely sounds like money is talking to me but that's just me yeah i don't think that we'll know we'll never know really because no one wants us to know Um, (laughs) but I do think that it's important for us to think about because we are seeing this happen a lot on campuses Um, they've renamed a few streets um, around LSU's campus which is wonderful Um, as well as you know within cities you're seeing various statues and street names change so I mean just a way for us to give you all again something else to think about if you're working in higher ed Um, because this may come up with students you work with, clients you work with, um, just being able to sort of figure out how do you navigate conversations around that. So that, my friends, um, is our culture corner for this week. So we have come once again to our favorite part of every single show, which is our Ebony's in the Spotlight is a good friend, and I'm, I'm super excited about just sort of new opportunities that have opened for her. Um, And I think that we shouted her out, but we didn't necessarily give all the details around this. And now she's fully in the role, so we can talk more about it. So I, I definitely want to acknowledge her. We have Dr. Allison Smith, who recently started a new role Um, at the Board of Regents for the state of Louisiana. So um, again, I think we shouted her out when we were kind of just talking through new opportunities earlier in the podcast in the beginnings, but we did not have all the details. So I wanted to kind of circle back to give her her shine moment of being an ebony in the spotlight. So she is now the program administrator for the Louisiana Center Addressing Substance in Collegiate Communities, also known as LACASU, 
which was a role that she also held as associate director at LSU. But now because of being moved to the Board of Regents, um, that has become a reporting unit of the Louisiana Higher Education Coalition. So she is doing extremely, extremely important work around substance use and abuse in our collegiate communities. And you know, what are we doing to help support these students who report to college that maybe are in recovery? Um, and then obviously being aware of trends of active use um, of substances on campus. So this is something for sure in my role, both in higher ed, but also even in private practice that comes up a lot. And so just being able to know that there is somebody who looks like us, who is uh-huh. in that role and helping us think about this, not just for the sake of certain populations on campus, but for all of us, I think is just right. critical. And so I want to shout out Dr. Smith. She's a BR native. Um <laughs> The two two five, Lord. I, you two know. two five till I die. Two five till we die. <laughs> um, <Dr. Smith>. <laughs> <laughs> and she, um, in addition to that, Southern University alum, so go Jags, as go well Jags. as. Um, an LSU, a two-time LSU alum, so go Tigers as well. Go Tigers. Um, Dr. I, Smith and I graduated on the same day from the same program mm-hmm. um, in the summer of 2016 ooh, ooh. on August the 5th. So that's my graduation buddy and we were classmates as well. So shout out to Dr. Smith. Keep making it 225 proud. <laughs> <laughs> Keep making the two two five proud. <laughs> oh, but Dr. Smith, we celebrate you. We are excited for you, and we know that you will continue to do great things. Great things. So those were our Ebony's in the spotlight. Uh, we hope that you all have truly enjoyed this week's show, um, and that you are doing something. After listening to this um, in honor of EITR Tuesdays so that you can prepare yourself for your next job search, for your next um, negotiation around your position, maybe even your current position. Um, And I think this topic is going to be a popular one, so I wouldn't be surprised if we have more about this but we definitely want to hear from you so please Uh let us know your thoughts on what we share let us know your experiences of what we've shared whether that's here um, on the podcast posting or on the blog posting where we also discuss this Um, as always we thank you guys for tuning in every other week Um, we know that you all could totally be listening to other podcasts but we love that you listen to ours and that we're a part um, of your rotation so be on the lookout for our next episode as well as another blog next week make sure like dr bell mentioned at the beginning of the show that you like follow and subscribe and keep in touch with us throughout this process and as always make sure that you submit your fellow eiti accomplishments and your own for the spotlight Uh and we will be back soon with more to say bye everybody bye